0: Yes, there has to be some kind of potential in every artist, but then your journey as an artist is one of education and is one of learning all the time. And sometimes that's learning on your own and sometimes it's learning with other people. But it's always, you know, you you have a destination in your journey, which is to improve.
1: Welcome to Not a Real Artist, a podcast by me, Iris Fritchie Cousins, and me, Tamara Sagadevan, discussing relatable creative topics with honesty and humor.
2: In this episode, we've got an amazing guest who um, I just draw from my pool of uh, friends and go like, who would be interesting? And the answer is everybody, um, because apparently I collect interesting people. So this person, if you don't know, I am in a choir, which I love very much. And uh, the person that we have got on our episode today to have an interesting conversation with is my musical director, Eamon O'Dwyer. And... He is our very, very talented musical director. He uh, arranges our songs and is just overall a very nice, kind, encouraging, and very talented person. And also, uh, this is the main reason for inviting. He's also really funny. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you're going to have to live up to all of this no now. No pressure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, I hope you get like some good part in the next concert. Otherwise, this podcast has been a waste of time. Oh, oh yeah, of course. That's what this is for.
0: <laughs> so a solo. This is, this is what we're going for, a solo in the next concert. Well, okay. I,
2: think, I think Eamon knows that I want like, I want no solos. Yes, like, I do. <laughs> go away. <laughs> no solos. Yeah. So hi, Eamon. Uh, welcome. And please introduce yourself briefly for um, those listeners who don't know you.
0: Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, yes, my name's Eamon O'Dwyer. And um, among other things, I am a composer and lyricist and sound designer and musical director. Um, I'm living in Southeast London. Um, I write loads of different kinds of music. Um, uh, I write everything from crossover classical to electropop to uh, musical theatre to abstract sound design. And I work in uh, obviously live music and choral stuff, but also the theater and uh, film and TV. And recently I've started doing uh, theme park attractions and installations. So it's kind of a broad, A broad palette of music and sound that I create
1: I'm going off topic maybe probably (laughs) but you said theme park (laughs) what is like that's so exciting do you mean like the actual music for the 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 theme park when you walk in like the ambience or Uh,
0: yeah so I've just finished working on a roller coaster in Virginia I mean, maybe I'm not even supposed to be talking about it, but I'm, let's get away with it. I'm sure we'll be fine. So um, like a roller
2: coaster in bleep bleep. In bleep bleep.
0: <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> um, in bleep bleep. Uh, and yes, I've created all of the soundscapes. So everything that you hear while you're in the queue, all the sound effects, uh, the kind of building of ambience and tension as you go through the queue, because you're in the queue for like an hour and you're on the ride for like 90 minutes, 90 seconds, sorry. So it's all about building up the tension and the excitement. And then obviously the ride is full full high octane thrills uh and then you have a kind of calming down period so it's a whole kind of musical narrative i love musical storytelling
2: i want to share with you like my favorite roller coaster music i'll send it to you after <clears throat> like I, I i feel like i'm so excited because this is like this is a very niche interest of mine i love theme park music it's like it's so interesting and it's so like once you get into it like because when you experience it i think oh god we're going so off topic but it's Mm. fine it's really interesting to me um uh, when you're in the queue and you're not aware of these things you're just like oh yeah like that's some background music and then once you understand how people have shaped the experience of the queuing of what you hear what you see how you're experiencing how you're experiencing the ride you know everything you just said it's like it, it but it comes alive with this extra layer of depth, and I think it's very exciting. Well, it
0: what I love about it is that people don't realize how they're being made to feel by the music. Often, um, I mean, the number of people that I've said I'm, I'm writing a roller coaster, and people are like, "Are there is there music on roller coasters?" And I'm like, "Yeah, every single one," but they don't realize and, and that like, they're they have being... such
2: different characters. Yeah, like yeah, roller yeah, yeah. coasters have different characters. Yeah, I'm a I'm a really big roller coaster nut, so this is like, oh <laughs> great. This is
1: really exciting to me, yeah. Well, I'm that idiot in the queue who has never paid attention to the music and that's why I'm like really excited because I never thought about it. Cool, Uh, when I go to a theme park, I will listen.
0: Have a listen. Hopefully it'll be one of mine if I get a few more in there.
2: The other day you asked... Uh, so what are we going to talk about? And I said, well, I'm not going to tell you because like, I don't want to preempt anything. But then I said, oh, well, I want to talk about inspiration. And you said the most hilarious thing. You no, you no you I do.
0: I remember what I said and I'm sh- ashamed for it.
2: <laughs> oh no, because I thought it was great. Do you want to say it or shall I, t- uh, shall I say what I remember you saying?
0: <laughs> yeah, go on then.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, what I remember you saying is I don't get inspired. I just
1: get paid.
0: Yeah, that is what I said i I'm not, I'm not shit, like hearing it back out loud I'm like, Ooh. um
1: is but, that not a type of inspiration though
0: I mean, yeah, it is paying your rent <laughs> is very inspiring <laughs> i mean i've I've made i suppose my careers shifted in the last ten years because before i was you know I'm lucky enough now to be a full time composer, but for a long time i was a a hobby composer I still worked in the theater, I was a performer, but I would be you know, performing other people's music and other people's words on stage. And then in my spare time, writing my own. And now my sort of axis has shifted and I've stopped performing and I write my own stuff and people pay me for that. So I'm hugely lucky. um, But what it's meant is that I have less time for personal projects because I'm lucky enough to be working on commissions and things all the time. And I don't have another thing that I'm doing to bring in money. I mean, you know, Iris, I run our choir and and a couple of other groups around the city. But yeah, it is all about it's going job to job rather than idea to idea, if that makes a difference.
2: I think the way I interpreted it as well was that when you are getting paid for a job, um, you don't sit around going like, oh gosh, well, I'll work on this job when, uh, inspiration strikes. It's like, no, you just like, you've got this commission, y- you know, you're going to, you're going to do it whether inspiration strikes or not. Cause you know, this is your job. You just got to switch it on even when it might not be want to switched on in the same way that we might romanticize, uh, yeah. inspiration.
0: I mean, there's nothing more inspiring than a deadline you know, you have to deliver something and there are people waiting for you to deliver it. So uh, you can't you can't hang around waiting for inspiration to strike. I'm not sitting in my artist's garret smoking galois and waiting for an idea. You've just got to do something. And sometimes you might not like the thing you've done. And sometimes, as has happened to me, I've scrapped it all and started again. I think also what's slightly different about what I do is that, I'm always telling stories with my music. So there is always a story for me to tell before I've written anything. So let's say I'm writing a underscore for a play and the director has said I'd really like some music under this scene. Well I've got the scene, I've got I've got the text of the scene, I know what the scene is about. So I already know you know is it sad? Is it happy? Is it major key? Is it minor key? Where are the shifts in it? I'm fitting myself into a structure that exists. Rather than, as some composers, you know, if, if I was writing a string quartet that doesn't have, you know, it's not about anything, it's just a string quartet in F sharp minor, that takes more inspiration as we know it, because you've got nowhere to start, if you like. Whereas I've always got a jumping off point for a story or a roller coaster or a song in a musical.
1: I think
2: that's really interesting because one of the things that I think can be intimidating about art, like art... Mm-hmm any kind of art form, is that sometimes it feels as if there's so many options available. And especially if you're saying like, okay, I want to make art from like the depths of my own soul. Mm -hmm. But like, geez, where do you start? Uh, You know, what's it going to be about? What's your medium? What's your mood? What's your message? Yeah, Tamara.
1: No, I'm just thinking how I really enjoy this. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know what the metaphor is, but for me, it feels like, Here's a a mold already or a sculpture. Now go and paint it. I want it to look happy. Um, And you would use the colors that would evoke happiness. So what I'm trying to think about while you guys are talking is how would I bring that into my own art practice? Because it feels very freeing, actually, to already have the sentences of the story that I would like to tell and then work around it. It's not something I would do all the time, but I know myself and I know the kinds of stories I want to tell. So why can't I really have all those sentences put out and then say, hey, this is the story I want to tell now. I got shafted at work. Um, here's what it should look like. I think that would be very freeing for me, especially when I'm reluctant to dig into myself or dig into my mind and find out what that stuff is. I don't have enough energy or I'm fatigued. So I, I was just trying to think, what that would look like. And I
2: think also what that
1: makes me think
2: of is how sometimes, um, I mean, this is what I do as an artist, or what I see myself doing rather than what I do consciously. It's like, I think I'm telling the same story again and again, but experimenting with how I'm telling that story. You know, am I expressing it today in a art journal or on a standalone painting with acrylics or with like mixed media or... You know, maybe I'm writing uh, with words. Um, And do you find that, Eamon? I think probably more in your personal work that you approach that thing that it is that you want to say or that you want to, that you're interested in exploring, but from different kind of viewpoints or different approaches?
0: There's always an element of you and how you're feeling at any one time that bleeds into your work. But what I always find, and this is, again, why I'm sort of everyday chuffed to do what I do, is that even if I'm, let's say I'm underscoring a death scene in a film and it's gotta be really miserable and really, you know, really hard hitting, if it's going well and I like the idea, then that's gonna bring me joy while I'm doing it. So so I can derive huge joy from writing incredibly sad music just because I think it's, I've, I've hit the nail on the head. And I can be writing, you know, a scene with a character skipping through a field of daisies um, in the sunshine. And if I don't think I'm doing a very good job of it, I'll be really pissed off the whole time. So there can be this absolute dichotomy with what I'm producing and how I'm feeling. But generally speaking, when things go well, when, when, I'm, when I feel like it's working, that lifts me spiritually. Um, God, we've gotten to spirituality already. But yeah, it is that.
2: I relate to what you're saying because I feel like a lot of the time, the work that I do is very, you know, it can be very dark and very kind of raw and stuff. But that doesn't mean that I necessarily feel miserable whilst I'm doing it because when I'm really into it and it feels really right, I'm just like riding that wave and it just feels, yeah, there's no, yeah, interesting.
1: I don't know. I know I'm supposed to talk because I'm on a podcast, but I'm just thinking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which is often what happens here. I don't know. I I find it interesting because to me, it's like, is it because it sounds pleasing to you that you might enjoy it? Or is it because it's touching something else? Because for me, I find sound like a very difficult thing to process. But like, visually you know it's easy for me yeah that looks nice according to me
0: yeah i mean my work is so much about matching sound to visuals so you know in a a film that's that's distilled right down to its essence which is you know that person raises their hand and i'll shape the sound to go with the raising of the hand or the raising of an eyebrow or an intake of breath or the click of a phone going back on its receiver like any anything it's it's minute you know, in theatre, it's slightly broader brushstrokes because it's live every night. The, jo- the joy comes from it, you just going, oh, yeah, that's really good. That's, I've, I've done a really good job there. Um, and, and and frustration also when you, when you can't make it work, when you can't find the right sound for a moment or an emotion.
1: It's, it's probably a commission. If you were doing something with the raising of, of the hand or whatever, now you yeah. think you've done a really good job. Mm -hmm. And it comes back and maybe, I don't know, has that ever happened to you? Maybe they don't think you have done such a good job.
0: Oh my God, all the time. How do you deal with that? I mean, we, yes, collaboration. Ah, here we go. That's a really funny thing because... Theatre particularly is one of the most collaborative art forms. You know, no no one person can make a piece of theatre. You need an actor, a writer, a designer, a director, a composer, stage management. You know, there's there's a whole load of people going into one thing. However, me, when I'm making the music, that's just me on my own. I don't really collaborate with anyone for my little element of it. But then I have to offer that to people in a room and say, hey, here's what I'm adding to this delicious stew. Does this, does this taste right? And somebody will go, oh my God, I love that flavour. And somebody will go, mm, yeah, not for me. And so, you know, you, you the head chef piece of theatre is the director. And yes, very often are given the feedback that it isn't quite working. And again, that comes from working in different media. So if I'm creating a piece of music, a piece of pre-recorded music for a theatre show, likelihood is I'll be in my studio on my own creating it. And then I will either bring that into a rehearsal room or email it to the director and say, hey, have a listen to this or try this with your actors. And that means that I might not be there to experience it or I might not have seen how the scene is being played out. So I might have imagined one thing in my head and then emailed it to the director and the director's gone, oh, actually, no, that's not what this scene is about. That's not what we think this scene is about. Or that's not really what this scene is about now because we've rehearsed it for two weeks. So you're always... Not working at cross purposes, but you might be working towards different things. And it's only when you get together that you can go, oh right, I understand now. But in terms of how you deal with feedback, it's just not taking it negatively. You just go, all oh, right, I understood a different thing, and therefore and therefore, okay, I'll try again. Nothing's really wasted. I tried to th- try to always think that, that nothing's wasted. If I spend time writing something that ends up not being the perfect fit, then that's still been a useful exercise, and I might have still produced something that I'm proud of and that I like. It might not end up getting used in the final production, but I've still made a thing where there wasn't a thing before. Um, in the words of Sometime, "Look, I made a hat where there never was a hat." But then sometimes, if you are given a bum steer by a director and you spend an awful lot of time writing something that you think is really great, and then the director comes back and goes, "Oh yeah, no, we've kind of changed that now," that's pretty frustrating. Where you've given yeah. lots of yourself and. You, when you've hit a brief that was given, and then the brief has changed,
2: that happens. Yeah, that's that's frustrating and painful. Yeah, that's
0: frustrating and painful. But you have to just go, hmm, okay, and then you like you suck it back down inside yourself, and you just you just start again. You know, you have to, mm. but try not to think of it as a wasted thing because you made a thing that you like.
1: Yeah, and and that's like a really useful thing. Like for people who might not be musicians here, who are just painting all the time, like mm. that for me is a very it's like a core block in, in my life. You know, I see people like, oh, I'm going to chuck this in the bin now. No, that experience was not wasted. I get why you might have an aversion to what you've created. Yeah. But you've either learned what you don't like or what you can do better or how to just make the process easier. And, and you've spent the hours. Yeah. You've just like you've spent I, <laughs> doing the work. Mm-hmm. I yeah. spent yeah. four days Uh, Don't talk about it. No, talk about it. I've spent four days doing an animation, which was absolutely fucking shit. (laughs) It was just such a, it was so terrible. And I just couldn't let it go like like a dog with a bone. But eventually, I realized I learned that animation is hard. Um, I'm still shit at it because whatever, I'm new. But it was such a nice reframe because if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been able to carry on and get the job done. So just kind of look at everything that you do as not a waste. I'll do- <laughs> That's my advice, not not Eamon's.
0: <laughs> well, no, I mean it's mine. It's it is mine too. Like people sometimes people say to me, "Oh, you know, you could reuse things," and and I and I, I very rarely do that because every project is sort of individual and and whenever I've tried to shoehorn one thing into something else, it's just never felt right. But you're always you're always honing your craft, aren't you? Even if you've created a thing that you don't like in the end, that's valuable time learning what you don't like, valuable time learning what works and what doesn't.
1: And even when you're recreating everything from scratch all the time, you're still reusing all that knowledge from before. There There isn't mm. really such a thing as scratch and, uh, I know like trying to shoehorn something into something else doesn't work, but it's also okay to recycle. Maybe not when you're getting paid and you feel some, I don't know, maybe if you feel some aversion or some ethic, I don't know, whatever you might feel. I have no ethics and morals, just by the way. (laughs) My name's Tamara. Uh, (laughs) But um, I do like reusing and recycling my own stuff. And art and music, I get it. It might be a little bit different. But also like you say about
2: getting paid, but like people reuse their own stuff all the time. And I think that when you think about it, like that's just style. Like you can listen to John Williams and you're like or well, not knowing that it's John Williams and like you're like, Oh that huh, good that sounds like John Williams or like Handel or or, or you know, like this there's, there's so many musicians who have their or Vivaldi, like where you get like, Oh yeah, that the, the little violin thingy is like that that Oh mm.
1: yeah. well, my All my ghetto people out there. Look at these two people talking about (laughs) Sondheim and Vivaldi. It's like Tupac. It's just Tupac and and who who else is a great rapper? And and Big Money. There must be somebody named Big Money.
0: (laughs) There's probably several people named Big Money.
1: I did not stalk your, your choir group. I happened to watch the Instagram video with the guy rapping... Was it jingle bells? Oh, it, it was a Christmas oh, thing. Um yeah. a beatboxer.
0: <laughs> and that was the lovely Andy Frost who beatboxed for. Yes, it was ding dong merrily on high.
1: Well, I liked it. I liked it very much, but what I liked most especially, and I'm gonna get racial here, is I saw I saw it from the back and I saw a lot of older looking people with uh, a certain well <laughs> with, with strawberry-colored ears. And they were (laughs) grooving. And I was like, this is such an awesome idea. Like, I would think traditionally, maybe you guys don't beatbox in the church or or wherever you guys were doing it, that you would introduce this method that can actually make people feel a connection to a culture that is sometimes a little bit separate. Yeah, maybe. What inspired that? How did that come about? I'm going
0: to quote sometime again to answer that question. He was once asked if you could bottle an element from the theatre, what would it be? What would what would what would like the what would you distill down and, and save as a thing? And he said, surprise, the element of surprise. So I always think about that as a as especially in you know music and theatre, which is a live art. You know, it's happening in real time. Oh, my God, are you just, you're both writing that down. I love it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about that a lot because, you know, theatre and music, they're live. They're happening in real time. And you want to surprise people. And particularly, you know, with our, with our choir, we're doing a Christmas concert. And that, a Christmas concert in a church. Um, there comes certain expectations with that. You know, so we threw in an away in a manger, we threw in a silent night, uh, we threw in a have yourself a merry little Christmas, those things that people want and expect. But then there's always a nice p- moment of going, oh, we're just going to, we're going to do a little something just to kind of, just to thrill people. So we did Ding Dong Merrily on High and we did three verses of it and we did verses one and two, like super trad you know, everyone in very clipped Victorian English pronunciation. Um, And then, and Andy was standing up there at the front and I could feel, you know, you can feel the audience behind you going, what's this guy going to do? What's he going to do? Like, is he going to sing a solo on top? Like, what's going to happen? Is he going to dance? He was holding a microphone, so what? And then this thing happened and you could feel the room just ignite with surprise. And it's, and it's the most thrilling thing. And that's, and that's, I say that as a performer as well, which I don't now do as often. And I only really now do it with my choirs a couple of times a year. But that's just super exciting when you've done a thing, you've made a thing. And and me and my 60 singers and Andy, we're all in on the joke. And then you've got 350 people behind you just going, what? You know, (laughs) it's the coolest thing. Um, And that's just, that's, that's... That's giving people the gift of surprise. And it's, and you know, in that context, it's also funny and humorous and lighthearted. And we don't do any original stuff by me. We do arrangements of work. So um, that's always like arrangements of songs that people will often know. So, you know, in our next concert, we're doing Annie Lennox and we're doing Aha and we're doing some Bjork um, and we're doing things that people will see in the program and go, oh, I love that song. But then you want to give them something new with it. You, don't, you know, we're not there doing karaoke, um, we're there doing our own take on it. So it's it's offering something new all the time.
2: No, it makes it exciting both to be in the choir, but it also makes it exciting for me when I invite my friends like to my concert. It's like, yes, I'm asking you to come and listen to me and my choir, but I am also quite sure that you're going to be entertained and surprised and gone like, oh gosh, you know, like I know that song, but I'd never heard it like this. And I think that's really exciting about it.
1: My understanding of, of how a choir works is very church, church like, uh, Pentecostal yeah. kind of vibe. And Iris and I were having this discussion because what I wanted to ask about, and I don't know which thread to pull on first, but is this idea of like innate, like God given talent where what I saw a lot of the churches in, I believe that every voice is an instrument and you guys can stone me if you want to, but even the ugly voices. Hello, my name is Tamara. I'm from South Africa, can be used uh to make a cool sound. Yeah. But what I noticed is there was this idea of like innate, God given talent, you're here, you're not, you're this. And I see it in art too, you know, you have to be talented or else you can't you can't do shit. Do you meet a lot of people with that ideology, or is it just me because I come from some backward uh kind of society? And how how do you encourage people if they do come to you with that ideology?
0: I feel like there's about twelve questions in what you've just said, but i'll I'll, I'll attempt to, I'll attempt to like pick on each one as we go, um, and for the benefit of those li- people listening, I'm doing mad things with my hands as I'm like picking at the questions. So, innate talent. I mean, yeah, I do believe in it, and I also don't. You know, I I come from a, a sort of cathedral chorister background. That was very much my upbringing from the age of six or seven. I started that, and I auditioned to be in. Uh, Westminster Cathedral Choir in London uh, at the age of six um, and was given a place. I'd done some singing lessons before that, but I hadn't learned very much about anything. And I was only six years old. But, you know, the choir master there was able to see something in me that said, right, yeah, you've got p- potential. So that, So I must have had some kind of gift, some kind of talent for him to go, yeah, OK, we can work with that. And then I was shaped and moulded into you know, into the musician that I am today over the, over the next 20, 25 years. Well, you know, I'm still learning. So over the next lots of years, I'm not going to say my age. Um, and now in the sphere of, in the sphere of work, that I do with Iris and with Iris's choir, you know, I get people coming who are, you know, they're not, they're not professional musicians. They've not been doing it all their lives. They're interested in it and they come and it's a similar process is that, I mean, you know, now the choir's been running for longer, we do auditions. So I listen to people before they join and I make sure that they're going to be able to keep up with us and that they have enough of a basic grasp of melody and harmony and rhythm. And then as part of their choir it's an education so you know we're always talking about vocal production and it's about blend and it's about tuning and it's about singing together as a group so yes there has to be some kind of potential in every in every artist and then and 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 by artist i mean those of us who do it for money and those of us who do it for joy but then but then your journey as an artist is one of education and is one of learning all the time um, and sometimes that's learning on your own, and sometimes it's learning with other people. And but it's always, you know, you, you have a destination in your journey, which is to improve. Um, does that make any sense?
1: It, no, it does. I'm I'm just thinking about when you were six and you went to Westminster, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the famous one, yeah, with the boys with the helium balloons. That's all I I is my reference point.
0: I mean, we'll unpick that later. But yeah, um, there's there's two Westminster's. There's the there's Westminster Abbey, which is where the coronation will happen in a couple of weeks' time. That's the that's the Anglican cathedral. Um, okay. cathedral. And then there's Westminster Cathedral, which is the Catholic one, which is where I was because Irish.
1: I am, am making a lot of assumptions about. So just like jump in. I would assume that if you joined when you you were six, you already had many years where you were probably encouraged to sing. Like, hey, Amon. You probably, you, you sing well, uh, sing for us. And you were singing and that was kind of encouraged. So that's why I'm not saying you don't, you didn't have talents, but it might've been easier for someone to see potential in you versus a child who's been kind of stifled until they're six and then they get, get there and they've been singing just for, I don't know, five minutes. And it might be a well, little yeah, bit more difficult, I mean, but I don't know because some voices are just absolutely beautiful. They People open their mouths and you're like, so um, I just, I don't know. I I think for me when I, I think I just feel a little bit heart sore about this idea of like innate talent because personally I don't view myself as a very talented person.
0: Um, w- musically or artistically or?
1: Oh no, musically, uh, musically, artistically okay. and everywhere else I'm the shit. But <laughs> I enjoy music. I love music. I like to sing. Iris has like three rap tracks of mine. And they're horrible, but I love <laughs> it. They're hilarious too. No, no,
2: no. Me and my kids were always going like, tomorrow. she taught me this. It was boots and cats and boots and cats. and. I think that what you're... Touching upon, I think, is this uh, idea that we've talked about before, which is the idea of gatekeepers. It's like, you know, you need to have a certain amount of talent and then somebody's going to recognize that and then you're going to be picked and 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 then, you know, that's it. And only the people with talent will get picked and um, the talent is uh, completely out of your hands and you can't do anything with that. But I actually like, uh, because I wrote this down as well, where you actually said about um the difference between potential versus talent, and when you are you know picked at six years old, you're picked for your potential, not because mm-hmm. you are a fully formed you know yeah. star singer Michael Jackson disagrees, but okay okay that's that's fine he can he can do that um but I think that's a much it's a much nicer way of thinking about it, and also it's a much more um inclusive way of thinking about it because then it's just you know. Do, do I have the potential uh, and do I have the interest as well? Because, you know, you needed the interest as well in order to then thrive in that opportunity yeah. that you were given.
0: We're also touching on um, an issue that here in the UK is massive at the moment, which is privilege. And particularly when talking about kids, the provision of music in schools. I was lucky enough to grow up in a, a middle-class, you know, not affluent household, but okay household, where music was... Important to my parents, and therefore when I exhibited musical talents, I was pushed in that direction and and they could afford private singing lessons for me, but there was also good provision for music in school, and we had private music classes in in my in my state school, so that that potential or that innate talent, whatever it is, had the had the opportunity to flourish whereas now in the u k now um you know the provision of music in schools is being eroded um, you know, year by year as, as the Tories are cutting funding and therefore we are not, you know, there, there are how many generations of kids, um, who are the next Beyonce or Adele or whatever, any of the, you know, whatever kind of musician they could be. We're not discovering those talents because they are not given that opportunity and families can't afford for private lessons. And therefore that potential is never being discovered even. Um, that's my sort of little anti-Tory rant. Um, yeah,
1: pretty uh, Patel doesn't give a shit about Beyonce, come on. Oh, um, I mean, none of them
0: give a shit about anything other they than They don't themselves. give a shit about humanity. No, quite. <laughs> um, that That's a, a, a different thing. But but yeah, I, I was learning music at a time when there was opportunity for me to flourish in school and I was in a household where there was enough money for me to flourish. I'm very lucky for that's
1: that. That's important.
0: And it's important. It is important.
1: But you know what I thought about, about innate talent, that maybe some people, like their, their actual bodies might be different. I don't know if how correct I am, like their vocal cords and shit, that they could reach different notes or something. And then that makes...
0: When we're talking about singing and, you know, a lot of it is physiological. I mean, that's the bit you can learn. It, it, it's a different thing to be a naturally gifted singer than it is to be a naturally gifted violinist because you need a bloody violin to show talent on the violin. Whereas, you know, you can sing in the shower, you can sing nursery rhymes, you can sing lullabies, you can sing, you know, it's it's primal and it's visceral. Um,
2: it's all like a bit of a jumbo in my head. But I just wanted to... Um, because I love talking about like the not clear cut and the the lack of confidence that I feel that I understand that some of the people that I bring to the table as my followers and stuff who relate to that and that's like I, I always want to like talk honestly about that. So first of all, I wanted to say that I uh, knew that you were doing this choir and because I, I uh, took a beginner's course from you, amen. And I saw this choir, and I was like, "Oh gosh, what does one have to do to like, you know, join this choir?" And you were like, "Oh well, you know, do do uh, a couple more courses, and then you know, and then come back to me, and then and then we'll see." So, and that felt like a very, as a as a not very confident person, specifically about my voice, like both speaking and singing. Um, not that you'd know it now, <laughs> doing a podcast. But um, it, it felt like a very. Uh, Uh, Both logical and gentle thing. It wasn't like, oh, well, you got to be able to do this and this. It was just kind of like, okay, you know, go and explore this a little bit more, and then, and then, you know, we'll do an an audition, and then we'll see, kind of thing. Mm. And that that felt really doable, I guess. Well,
0: okay, I'm going to jump in on the on the gentle Mm. and doable thing. I mean, I guess I have been running that choir and doing those courses for seven or eight years now, and so I've also learned a bit about what people, what encouragement people need in order to progress, um, you know, teaching you is another skill that you learn and you only really learn by doing, you know, you can be really, um, you know, I, I believe I'm a really good musician, but I've become a really good teacher um, because I've been doing it for a long, long time and, and I've worked with people of and all not different- just
2: because you've been doing it, not just because you've been doing it for a long, long time. I think also because you are genuinely sensitive to people, their experience, and you want people to have a good time. Like you care about that and you don't want to put people down and reject yeah, them. But um, that's also and, a thing you
0: learn. That's also a thing you learn. I think you learn, you learn how to be sensitive. Um, I've certainly learned how to be insensitive, um, by accident, <laughs> going, oh, actually that probably wasn't a good thing to say. Um uh but yeah, like you yes, so so you um and and also you know, specific to me and, and, and this group that we are a part of, um, is that uh you learn how the group is evolving and and what the group needs. You know, the 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 entry requirements now are a lot more stringent than they were five years ago. Um, as we've grown and as we've improved, but as because as, as I said, you know, artistry is education. So we're all we're all learning to be better together.
1: You guys are like an organism now. You've you've reached like a new level. So to so live in
0: very much so. Um, yeah, it is that it is a sort of living, breathing organism, and 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 it shifts every week because you get different people in the room and different you know combinations of voices and. Makes yeah, and Amos like arranging stuff up.
2: that's so hard now. And it's like, it's like he's so excited about the choir being better. <laughs> and now we have to do like much harder work.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also because like, and you know, and very sweet what you say about me wanting people to have a good time. But, you know, I, you also know that I expect a very high level of musical excellence. Because I also know that it's... It's
2: more fun when we're good. This
0: is a quote from you. It's more fun when you're good. Exactly. It's more fun when you're good. A hundred percent. But then, you know, when we started seven, eight years ago, it was just like, can we get to the, from the beginning to the end without it falling apart or going down two semitones? You know, so the, 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 um, the goals change.
1: <laughs> and I'm obviously just accepting the best uh, version that Iris has presented of you today. Um, the difference that I'm getting, like you said before, Iris, about gatekeeping, then this is not gatekeeping. This is actually encouraging someone, wanting them to grow, providing them the education, not saying, hey, you know what, actually, your voice sucks. It's about giving them these kind of like lifelines to hold or or, or not lifelines, even just pathways to follow. And that's the difference between a gatekeeper and uh, Eamon O'Dwyer. (laughs)
0: say everything right um bless you you did yeah excellent pronunciation um uh I mean yeah look thinking talking practically about it it's also that I work for a business and and I'm an ambassador for that business and so people come to bleep bleep and they expect to I you know I'm expected to treat them with Kindness and compassion and warmth and friendliness, like that's what I mean. Look, that's what you expect as a human being. If they're not the right singer for my choir, I, you know, th- there is there's an expectation from the people who pay my wages that I will be like, okay, so you're not right for this, but try this, um, so that we're always keeping new business flowing in. That I'm not, I'm not going. No, you suck. Go away. Because then that's not only that's not only me that they'll think badly of, but that's the organisation I work for um that's 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 the business side of it
2: yeah sure, but I think that's it's a it's really important like that when as a teacher, because all of us are, as as well as artists, also teachers. Like you, you're in a you're in a really um, powerful position in a way to um, influence and shape how people feel about themselves and that thing that they are trying. Either trying because you know they have a passion for it, or trying just because they've got you know an interest in it. Like want to just have a go and have a try. And I'm always very aware of this because. Especially because in my teaching, I'm always encouraging people to really express themselves and to make their own art rather than to just copy. So, and that's very vulnerable. Like you're asking people to be very vulnerable. And then as a teacher, you have enormous power to kind of like, you know, an influence over how people will feel about themselves and that art that they're making or that expression that they are you know, putting out there. And I think that especially for me, when it came to using my voice, like I came from a, I came from a place as a child of feeling very ashamed of my voice and um feeling like I, like on the one hand, I was encouraged to do some singing and stuff. And on the other hand, I was completely convinced that I was absolutely terrible, dreadful and should never open my mouth again. And I feel like, coming back to that as an adult and and slowly changing that first by recording myself on video, not singing, just talking, uh, you know, art teaching videos where I'm saying like, you know, I'm painting this or whatever. That was a big step. And then, you know, daring to go and take singing lessons and open my mouth and sing in front of other people, even though it was like together. So it wasn't necessarily that people were listening to me individually. But being able to do that in a uh, space where I didn't feel like I was going to be judged or I was going to be rated or I was going to be um, made to feel uncomfortable or made to feel like all the things I feared about myself were true. um, That was hugely uh, influential and important to me, actually even daring to say, Hey, gosh, this choir, you know, how can I join it? Because otherwise I never would have been able to even dare to, to think that.
0: Mm. Um, I've said this a lot in my life, but as an educator of any kind, you have an enormous responsibility. It is an enormous responsibility to be an educator, and and you know I'm not a I'm not a parent. Thank God, but um, <laughs> uh, but but you know it's the same thing. It's one of the reasons that I couldn't ever be a parent is the responsibility is too huge. But you know I'm an uncle and a godfather, but I'm also a teacher, and 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 all of those things are educational. Um, uh, and you you are in a position of educating um others, and the number of people who've come to me for singing lessons and they're like, uh, I think I'm shit because so-and-so told me I was shit because my mom said I couldn't sing because my singing teacher said I couldn't sing because my ex boyfriend said I couldn't sing. And I think singing particularly is, is, as you say, it makes people vulnerable and it's so physical and based in, uh, based in a person's physiognomy and what they do with their body and their voice that uh, when people shit on that, for want of a better phrase, it is so incredibly damaging. And so I've come across that so many times that I'm just like, kindness always and encouragement always. That's the only way, the only way. Like I, I, I still don't understand how anyone, how any teacher can ever think to get a good performance out of a pupil with, with, with anything but kindness. I don't understand that. And I know that you, you know, you're sitting there going, but what about mean Eamon when he's mean to us? Um, you know, that's that's tough love. Um but it that's is It's funny,
2: but I don't experience mean Eamon, because like <laughs> mean Eamon is the thing to behold. It's like <laughs> he doesn't come out he doesn't come out often, but like before concerts, like when we're doing rehearsal, like and there's new people who've never done a concert with us before, there's like these whispers that go like, you know, like, you know, when it's like don't 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 antagonize Eamon because yeah. he'll become mean Eamon and he'll shout don't at you.
0: Poke <laughs> the bear. Like, yeah. yeah. But the
2: thing is I don't I don't experience because I I guess I have faith that you are really a kind person and you do really think well of us and want the best for us. I don't experience mean aiming as anything other than like, shut up right now because we're doing something important and I need you to be quiet or I need you to pay attention. It doesn't, doesn't feel personal. Like you're not personally attacking that person. You're just saying, shut the fuck up.
0: Yeah. yeah, You know?
2: So in that way, it's actually quite easy to take for me, maybe not for other people, but yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. No, I mean, I think, yeah, you've got a point. Uh, It is, it is, um, it's never, it's never pointed, At people um it is you know it's the organism it's that it's that the organism Mm. um but yeah like just going back to that that thing of it's it's all about encouragement and kindness and and with with singing teaching particularly criticism can be incredibly damaging Mm. so you've got to you've got to just be so delicate and sensitive all the time
2: yeah well Thank you so much, Eamon, for chatting to us today. I felt like it was a very enlightening conversation. Thank
0: you for having me.
2: You're very welcome. We went from like roller coaster music to like being a good uh, uh, educator. Like, oh my God. Um, Do you want to let people know uh, where they can find you and, um, you know, how to support your work?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, you can find me on Spotify. Um, Eamon O'Dwyer that's E-A-M-O-N-N-O apostrophe D-W-Y-E-R. Um, in case you were not sure. Um, uh, so I get about 0.0007 P per stream. So do listen to my two albums on Spotify. They're two musicals uh, that I've written. Um, you can uh, listen to a lot more music on my website, um, EamonO'Dwyer.com. Um, and you can find pictures of my, Dinner on Instagram, if you like. Um, I'm at and nice Eamon cocktails and on there too, and nice cocktails. Although I haven't done any of those for a while. Um, but yes, there is occasionally some bits of work on Instagram too. Um, and I'm on Twitter, but I only really complain on Twitter, so don't look at that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
0: but yeah, yeah um, Spotify and my website, you know, good places to hear what I do.
2: Yes. Okay. Awesome. I hope everybody's going to go and uh, stream your uh, musicals on Spotify now to get you your point zero zero seven yeah thanks i mean you
0: know what guys if you don't like them you can just put your (laughs) laptop on mute and then press loop um that's a really cool way of supporting artists uh just keep me playing on silent all through the night thank you (laughs)
2: Uh. Um, and with (laughs) with that let's uh, get into the key takeaways
1: (laughs) one next time you're in a theme park try and notice the music You might hear the tension, thrill, and eventually calming effects of the soundtracks, all curated to enhance your experience. This is a concept that you can pull into your own art and visual practices. 2. Getting paid and having a deadline for your artistic work means that you cannot wait for the romantic idea of inspiration to strike. You just need to get it done. 3. Create your own jumping-off points for your art whether it be creating art parts or prompts before you paint to help you get into the work when ideas are thin on the ground. 4. How you feel about your work doesn't always correlate to the subject matter. The work you make can be raw or dark, but that might not spill into how you feel as you create or how you feel about the work after it's done. 5. Theatre is a collaborative art form. Like all collaborative work, it means there could be feedback which could sting if taken negatively. Alternative ways to think about the experience of feedback is, I understood a different thing compared to the person I was working with. And nothing is ever wasted. You're always learning and honing your craft. 6. It's okay to recycle and be inspired by your own work. 7. Sondheim once said, that if he could bottle any element from the theatre, it would be the element of surprise. 8. Innate talent might get you to a certain point, but work and learning on your own or with other people will get you the rest of the way. 9. Primary education, positive reinforcement and encouragement in the child is extremely important. It is our social responsibility to cultivate those access points and spaces for them and ourselves. 10. As teachers in this vulnerable space, which is art-making, we have power and influence that must always come with responsibility. 11. The difference between gatekeeping and teaching is massive. Actively encourage and educate those who want to grow and learn using gentleness and empathy as your mode versus degradation and shame. The details for this episode and our amazing guest can be found on the show notes. Have you had any insights during this episode? Let us know on Not A Real Artist Podcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please follow this podcast or rate it and share it with everyone who wants to listen to good shows. Until next time
2: also makes it exciting for me when I invite my friends
1: you've never invited me
2: <laughs> will you come will you come to my next concert 15th of June <laughs> yeah. book your book your flight
1: <laughs> um, that was a, real a question that I had in... <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> she's always ribbing me like this
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh Okay. No. Uh, no, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not coming. Um. <laughs> right. Okay.
0: And, and it's still quite awkward. Uh.
1: <laughs>